Today's episode is sponsored by Tigo. For most of us, indemnity insurance is one of our biggest costs of practice. But when was the last time you took a look at the coverage and compared your premium with others? Many of us are still with the same insurer we joined in med school or intern year. Thousands of doctors have made the switch to Tigo and benefited from their personalised approach to pricing. You will also get an extra two months free in your first year. If you are new to private practice, you might even qualify for four years of discounted premiums. Tigo offers competitive premiums, quality cover and 24-7 support backed by top medico-legal advisors. Get a free quote and discover why thousands of doctors are insured by Tigo by visiting tigo.com.au. Hello listeners and welcome to Deep Breaths, a podcast covering topics related to the part two anaesthetic exam. I'm Dr. Kate McCrossan. And I'm Dr. Kate Steele. And today's episode is These Boots Are Made For Walking Part One, where we'll discuss preoperative functional capacity assessments. In this podcast, we represent our own views and not those of our employers or ANSCA. Okay, this topic was a listener recommendation. Shout out to Dr. Say Nishimura. And it is a really great topic. It can be confusing to wrap your mind around pre-op functional capacity assessments, so we're excited to cover it today. Mm, That's right. We'll be taking much of the contents of our discussion from several different sources that are all provided as links within our episode notes. Be sure to check them out as they're well worth the read and can go into much more detail than Kate and I can today. Okay, so what do we mean with the term pre-operative functional capacity assessment? Ultimately, the aim of assessing a patient's functional capacity is to determine whether the patient is able to undergo the physiologic stress of having surgery without sustaining serious perioperative complications. We can approximate a patient's risk by looking at the level of function that they're capable of. At its most simple, we can express a patient's functional capacity as good, where they can achieve activity at four mets or more, or poor, in which they are limited functionally to less than four mets. So what do we mean with the term METs? Well, MET stands for metabolic equivalent. Assessing patients in terms of METs quantifies their functional capacity with respect to their oxygen consumption. And this is based upon the oxygen consumption of a 40-year-old male patient weighing 70 kilograms during quiet sitting. It is defined as 3.5 mils of oxygen per kilogram body weight per minute. We use this value as a representation of all of our patients in society. So for a standard 70 kilo patient, we're looking at an oxygen consumption of 245 mils per minute. We can also express METs in terms of energy consumption, where one MET represents one kilocalorie per kilogram per hour, and again is defined as the energy cost of sitting quietly in a 70 kilogram male. An important concept to understand when using and interpreting METs is that it is a ratio of a patient's work or metabolic rate to the resting rate. In plain terms, a four-met activity consumes four times the oxygen as a one-met activity and requires four times the energy that a one-met activity does. Again, just to place extra emphasis on this, it's a ratio. Now, there are several lists out there in the ether that correlate different metabolic equivalents with activities of daily living or ADLs. An example of one such list is as follows. One met is the equivalent of eating, getting dressed or working at a desk. Two mets is the equivalent of showering or walking down eight steps. Three mets consists of walking on a flat surface for one or two blocks Four mets could be considered as raking leaves, pushing a power mower, weeding or walking up two flights of stairs. Five mets is approximately the same as walking 6.4 kilometres per hour, social dancing or washing a car, 
Six Mets is playing nine holes of golf and carrying your own clubs, heavy carpentry or using a push mower. Seven Mets is digging or spading soil, singles tennis or carrying 27 kilos, which is very specific. Eight Mets is moving heavy furniture, jogging slowly or carrying nine kilograms upstairs. Now the list continues, but I won't go on. These lists are relatively easy to find on the internet. So if you're interested, just go and Google it. Very specific when they mentioned singles tennis. As yeah, to yeah, tennis, yeah. Anyway. And it's funny because you look at a lot of these activities, there's a big spectrum of what mm. could comprise activity within each of these. So as we've said before, it's just an approximation. Yeah. When it comes to utilising functional assessment tools, it's important for us to understand how each tool correlates to both the patient's true functional capacity and their perioperative risk. Lucky for us, BJA Education published a fantastic article in 2022 that was written by two Australian anaesthetists and that specifically looked at the METS and DASI tools and the utility in both accurately predicting a patient's true functional capacity and in assessing a patient's perioperative risk. We're only going to summarise the findings from this review article and would encourage you all to read the entire piece as it's fantastic. The authors kindly illustrate the relationship between METs and measures obtained from cardiopulmonary exercise testing heralded as the gold standard when it comes to measuring functional capacity. That is, they relate these tools to the VO2 peak, which reflects an individual's best effort and peak oxygen consumption, and the anaerobic threshold, or the point at which the body's metabolic requirements exceed its oxygen supply. The reason for using VO2 peak rather than VO2 max is that most patients are unable to meet the physiologic endpoint of a VO2 max during cardiopulmonary exercise testing. Let's start with stair climbing, which we often use to delineate whether a patient can achieve at least four METs. Typically, we use the stress of climbing two flights of stairs as an approximation of the stress placed on the body during major surgery. Now, there are a couple of issues with this assumption right off the bat. Firstly, climbing two flights of stairs is thought to approximate a VO2 peak of approximately 14 mils of oxygen per kilo per minute, but this approximation and correlation may actually be quite poor. Secondly, a small pilot study has demonstrated that this may, in fact, be a significant overestimation of the surgical stress response and that it may be significantly lower than 4 METs. And finally, different patients climb stairs very differently and indeed define what constitutes a flight of stairs very differently. Unless you actually watch a patient climbing two flights of stairs, which is typically defined as 22 individual stairs, we're at the mercy of what is a self-reported approximation. And as we've all experienced, a patient's assessment of their own abilities may deviate significantly from what they can actually achieve physically. Absolutely. And I have to say, like, we have a flight of stairs out the back in the... There's a fire escape near our clinic. Oh, yeah. And so people have been known to take patients out the back to the fire escape. But you've got to be careful, otherwise you'll get locked in there. Oh, gosh. <laughs> you really have to hold that door open. It's <laughs> so, <laughs> not the patient, something you would think of, is it? You, otherwise you'll end up having to, guess, I guess, you know, escape, right? Oh, Go out gosh, the, yeah. Outside Hospital, and potentially set off an alarm that would mm, not be good exactly. oh gosh anyway so when it comes to correlating stair climbing with the vo2 peak it's problematic studies report a wide range of measured vo2 peaks in subjects observed to climb 22 steps from 14 to 21.3 mils of oxygen per kilogram per minute which correlates with 4 to 6.1 mets Secondary analysis of the MET study, which you can link to in our episode notes, has shown that asking a patient about their ability to climb a single flight of stairs has a low predictive ability in identifying patients able to achieve a VO2 peak of greater than 16 mils per kilogram per minute. When it comes to stair climbing as a predictor of postoperative outcomes, in a nutshell, studies have found conflicting results. 
So we've looked at stair climbing and its utility for functional assessment. What about ADL assessments? These can be useful as a way of informing us of a patient's physical capacity and from this we can classify their functional capacity as either poor, under 4 mets, moderate, 4 to 6 mets, or good, 7 to 10 mets, or excellent, over 10 mets. Unfortunately, there do not appear to be any studies evaluating the relationship between self-reported ADLs and VO2 peak. But a retrospective study of 170 patients undergoing non-cardiac surgery and who had an indication for exercise stress testing had their METs as estimated by ADLs compared to their METs achieved during exercise stress testing on a treadmill and with the Bruce protocol. The METs estimated by ADLs were on average 3.3 METs lower than that achieved by the patients on the treadmill. Also of interest was finding that in 91% of patients, clinicians underestimated the METs that could be achieved on exercise stress testing. So we're not so no, good well, it, clearly. Yeah. Patients are better than we think they are. Absolutely. And it seems that we're as bad at estimating a patient's functional capacity as we are at estimating intraoperative blood <laughs> loss. So, you know, yes, touche. not good for us. Now, using ADLs as a predictor of surgical outcomes, it has been generally found that the inability to achieve four METs has a poor predictive value for anticipating postoperative cardiac complications. It's interesting, using METs for functional capacity assessment is frankly not as good as I would have hoped. Mm-hmm. So now we're going to move on to the Duke Activity Status Index or DASI. This index poses 12 yes or no questions to patients in relation to their functional capacity, and from this, a weighted score is attained. This score is then used to calculate the patient's estimated VO2 peak and max and metabolic equivalent with conversion formulas. We won't go through all the questions because of time constraints, but again, follow the link to the BJA education article by Silverpool and Darval in our show notes for this information, and a more thorough summary on the utility of the DASI score, which we will summarise now. Clinical trials assessing the ability of the DASI score to accurately predict a patient's VO2 peak and metabolic equivalent through the DASI conversion formulas have provided variable results. One particular study, the METS study, showed that for patients unable to achieve VO2 peak of 17.5 mils per kilogram per minute, which is the equivalent of 5 METS on cardiopulmonary exercise testing, the accuracy of the DASI to predict their VO2 peak and metabolic equivalent with the conversion formulas was poor. Now, interestingly, this finding was also noted in the original paper by Hlatke and colleagues in 1989, which provided the initial introduction to and validation of the DASI tool. In addition to this, patients with a DASI score of 34, and which calculates the metabolic equivalent as 6.92 METs, had their functional capacity overestimated by the conversion formula by 2 METs. And actually, another finding from Platke's paper that is worthwhile noting is that when the DASI questionnaire was self-administered, the correlation between the DASI-calculated VO2 peak and the cardiopulmonary exercise testing VO2 peak was poorer than when the DASI questionnaire was administered by a clinician. Within the analysis of the results of the METS trial, it was found that there were five questions that were better at predicting a patient's VO2 peak when calculated as being over 16 mils per kilo per minute and the anaerobic threshold when calculated as being over 11 kilos per kilogram per minute. But since we've run out of time, we'll talk about this next episode. Okay, so we've spoken a lot about the DASI score and its accuracy in calculating a patient's VO2 peak and anaerobic threshold, but how does that actually translate into clinical practice? So the American College of Cardiology and the American Heart Association, known as the ACCAHA, within their guideline on perioperative cardiovascular evaluation, recommend considering further cardiac testing if DASI evaluation calculates the patient's metabolic equivalent as being less than four. 
The authors of the BJA review article propose that a better threshold for further cardiac investigation may be for individuals that attain a DASI questionnaire score of 34, which we do know results in a potentially overestimated calculation of the maximum met as 6.92. And this proposal is based on the knowledge that these individuals with impaired functional capacity may be at higher risk of post-operative cardiovascular complications. Mm, it's very sensible. Now, the authors of the BJA article do make some recommendations regarding our methods for assessing functional capacity preoperatively. They acknowledge that asking patients about ADLs has a poor predictive value for all postoperative complications. They advise that instead of asking about ADLs, that clinicians should be using the DASI, which provides a structured and validated method for assessing the patient's functional capacity. They recommend that a threshold DASI score of 34 may be appropriate in determining whether a patient should undergo further cardiac investigations, as these patients are at a greater risk of perioperative cardiovascular complications. And they also advise caution in calculating METs with the conversion formula as it significantly overestimates functional capacity. So we are going to have a second episode on this topic. Absolutely. Uh, which we're looking forward to, but we've probably run out of time for one today. I think so. Um, it's been an interesting discussion on today's episode of Deep Breaths. Consultants and fellows, don't forget to claim CPD for listening. Instructions for how to do this are on our episode notes. If you have any episode suggestions or you'd just like to say hi, you can email us at deepbreathspod at gmail.com. We love hearing from you. Thanks for listening and we hope you can join us next time on Deep Breaths.